your favorite Disney movies. Amen. I love The Lion King. Amen. Before we get started, I want you to turn to your neighbor on your left side and say, take your rightful place. Look to your other neighbor and say, take your rightful place. Amen. Amen. So, I'm going to play on the nostalgia of many of you. Obviously, we've shown one of the best Disney classics ever in history. Uh, before we get started, raise your hand if you were a child growing up and saw this movie. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. All right. Hey, I'm going to get to that. Hey, right, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up if you grew up. Raise your hand if you were a parent of a child who watched this movie and you're also hooked. Okay. All right. Okay. So obviously there is an impact this movie had. Okay. Now, spoiler alert, I'm going to go through the movie and I'm going to talk about some important plot points. Okay. Spoiler alert. Second spoiler alert. This is the 25th year that this movie has been out. So if you've not seen it, what are you waiting for? This is a great movie. So if I go through anything and you're mad because I spoil it, I think I've met the spoiler statute of limitations. So you cannot get mad at me. Okay. So if you have not seen it, I will give you a quick rundown in the story, okay? So, Simba, and I'm, I'm going to have some slides up here, Tyler, if you can uh, follow me, those, those first five, there we go, look at that. That is Mufasa and Simba right there, look at there. So, Simba, son of Mufasa, excitedly anticipates the day he'll take his father's place as king, believing that authority equals fun and doing whatever he wants. And in this next slide we see there's actually a, a, one of my least favorite songs, I Can't Wait to Be King, in this song, and it's just... I don't know, I, I, that's not my favorite song of one of them, but he, in this moment, is like, man, I cannot wait to be king, I cannot wait to do whatever I want, because I'll have power and authority, right? So, however, things take a drastic turn when Scar's plan to betray his brother Mufasa is fulfilled by throwing him into a gorge of stampeding wildebeests. One of the saddest moments ever in history. Only after years of exile and grieving and finding his true identity through many musical numbers, I think we had, yeah, one of the best parts of the movies, uh, Simba finally returns to reclaim from Scar his rightful place as king. And at the end, we see him on top of Pride Rock taking his place as king. So, what does this have to do with anything? So, the title of this message is called Take Your Rightful Place. Say it with me. Take your rightful place. All right? So, in Simba's case, he was the son of a king, and he was so excited about taking his rightful place. But in his mind as a child, he thought that he was just going to have power and just the ability to do whatever he wants, right? So, I'm also going to parallel this with someone in Scripture who also had power and authority. His name was Elijah. Some of his backstory is that um, all throughout a certain portion of Old Testament, there was a, a lineage of kings that ran the nation of Israel, and with every king, there was also a prophet. In that time, Elijah was the prophet, and the king of Israel was King Ahab, and he's regarded as one of the most evil kings that had ruled Israel. So, real quickly, what had happened was... Elijah said that there was going to be a drought and not a drop of rain or anything until he said the word. Obviously, he didn't know it was going to last three years. He just said that until he got the word from the Lord, that there wasn't going to be any water. Now, at that time, they didn't have tap that they could just get water from. They didn't have anything that they could pull water from, so that was super important to them. And so for that area to, find, to hit that was almost as equal as famine, right? So they had no water for three years, and then he said, he told King Ahab, to meet me at Mount Carmel, right? Three years have passed. There's been a drought. The Lord said, I'm going to bring rain when you go and confront King Ahab. So what happens is Elijah goes to King Ahab. He says, hey, 
you have brought pagan worship to this guy named Baal, one of the gods that they had, they had worshipped. And you have, have, not only do you worship him as the king of Israel, of God's people, but there are also prophets who are worshipping this, this god. And so what I want to do is I want you, all your people, and all these prophets to meet on this mountain, Mount Carmel, right? And so he wants to kind of show off who God is, right? And so what happens is they meet on this mountain, there's 450 prophets of Baal, and there's the king and all the people, right? And so there's, there's going to be a competition between the two. Elijah's here, 450 prophets of Baal are over there. They have this firewood and an altar, and they have their, their offering of sacrifice. And he says, here's what we're going to do. I want you to try and set a fire to your altar by calling upon your God, and I'll do the same, and whoever has the fire set to their offering proves that their God is the one God. So we're going to pick up in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, if you have your Bibles with you. 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to be reading verse 24 through 29, um, and it starts here. This is when he is issuing the challenge, okay? So it says, And you call upon the name of your God, I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. All the people said, answered, It is well spoken. So they agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. Verse 26, And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. For hours they were calling upon this God, and nothing happened. So at noon, Elijah, uh, he, he would be called in this moment savage, because what he says was, is pretty great. Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is musing or he's relieving himself. So he literally said, maybe your God's using the bathroom right now. Or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and he needs to be woke up. So he's like kind of taunting their God because he knows that he serves the one true God. And so in verse 28, it continues, And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances. The blood gushed out upon them, and as midday passed, they raved on until the time of offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered no one paid attention. So this is what they did. This is what these prophets did, right? And here's Elijah, right? The parallel is here's Elijah. He steps into this place. He steps into the kingdom that's supposed to be worshiping God, but he sees that that's not what they're doing. But even though he's in this place of, of rebellion and this, this place where they want to lift up this other person who can't even set fire to their altar, he still comes to this place knowing that he has power and authority because he knows from where it comes from, right? And so we also see with Sim right? He, he, he is going to be a great king one day. He believes that one day he'll make a change and he'll be a great leader amongst the pride of his, of his group, right? But what happens to both of them, even though that there's great calling on Simba's life, he looks up to Mufasa, which is also one of the greatest Disney characters ever, voiced by James Earl Jones, and he, he looks up to his father and has potential to be the greatest leader ever. And Elijah also is a great prophet. Um, but what happens is tragedy strikes for both of them. So in the case of Simba, Simba is tricked by his uncle, Scar. And he goes to this gorge, and he says, Hey, wait here, I got a surprise for you. It's to die for, right? Well, he didn't know that he had set up a stampede to come and take him out. His father came and tried to save him, but when he did, and when he tried to climb out of the gorge, Scar threw him to the stampede, and he, his life was taken. When Simba went and checked on him, he was like, oh my gosh, 
Father, you have to wake up. We have to go home. He didn't realize what happened. And Scar told him, this is your fault. If you weren't here, this would never happen. And Simba ran away into the oasis to meet up with the best comedic relief duo ever, Timon and Pumbaa. So that's what happens with Simba, right? So he's living this great life. He has a great calling on his life. And then tragedy strikes and then he leaves. What happens with Elijah? Well, Elijah just just called out 450 prophets of Baal. And not only that, but once he called upon the Lord, he said, okay, guys, let me show you how it really works, okay? Let me show you the one and true God. And so not only did he ask God to come and send fire onto the altar, but he asked his people to bring four barrels of water and, and put it onto the altar. Now, by show of hands, does anyone pour water onto their fire pit before they start it? No, negative, right? So I'm sure they're thinking, what in the world? And in this time, this is their drinking water, right? So it's not just water they just collected from, from down the road. This is water they've collected for them to drink for all their people. And he does that two more times. So four times three, 12 barrels of water comes, pours on this altar. I'm sure they're thinking, oh my God, this Lord better be the Lord that he says he is, right? He calls on fire, and not only does he burn up the offering, he burns up the wood, he burns up the stone, the dust, and all the water that was poured out, right? So he showed in that moment that his God was the true God. All the prophets were taken out and executed for their worship in Baal, right? And here's the, here's, the, here's the miraculous thing that also happened that day. It wasn't just the fire that came down. Remember, there's a drought in this area, right, for three years. And God said, before he had this competition, God said, Elijah, you confront Ahab, and there's going to be rain that comes into this area. And so he sends out his servant, and he goes and checks seven times to see if there is any rain that's coming. And the seventh time, he says, well, there's a cloud out there about the size of a, a man's hand. And you would think you see a cloud that small. Well, I mean, that's not going to bring down anything. It ends up pouring down and it ends up giving them more water than they had before they even started that competition. So it shows that when you sacrifice what you think you need to the Lord, God will provide with you way more than you think you could ever need. Amen? He will provide with you what you thought that you could never handle, right? But what happens with him, that miracle, right? That miracle with the prophets and the water coming, the next day... King Ahab told his wife, and the wife was like, look, if the gods have not struck me dead by tomorrow, if you are not dead, or sorry, that's what he said. She said, if, if you're not dead by tomorrow, then the gods strike me down at this time tomorrow, right? So she was threatening Elijah's life. What did Elijah do? Elijah called upon the Lord, and he said, get out of here, Jezebel. No, that's not what happened. Elijah fled for his life. He's like, this woman's crazy and I'm not going to die today. So he left and that calling and power and authority that he, poured, he, that he pulled from before to cast out or to, to bring that fire, it left, right? You would think that, man, if he could show up in front of 450 people, man, God could deliver him from this woman. But he didn't believe that. So he left. First, he went to Beersheba and he, he dropped off his servant. He's like, hey, you stay here. And then he went into the weird wilderness. So he wanted to just get alone. He did not want to have any connections. He did not want to be taken out. So what does all this mean? You need to be cautious because the place that you enter can shift your position of power. I'll say it again. The place you enter can shift your position of power. 
So when I refer to place, I'm talking about things that are going on around you. And maybe that's a mental place. Maybe that's a, a physical place, right? Maybe things in your, in your work life have changed. Maybe you've had to move, right? Or maybe you're in a mental place where you're just blocking everything out around you, even though everything technically is going good in your life, right? When I talk about your position, I'm referring to your perspective of your circumstance of what's happening around you, right? So, for example, when we enter a place of comfort, we operate from a position of contentment. When we enter a place of comfort, we operate from a position of contentment. What happened with Simba? He fled, right? He met it with Timon and Pumbaa. He went into this oasis, sang a song about having no worries, Akuna Matata. And then he stayed in that place for years, right? He didn't just say, oh, well, let me just, let me just kind of dust my, myself off and then head back and, and reclaim everything. No, he stayed there. Why? Because he was in this oasis. He had everything he thought he needed that he could want to do. And he stayed in this place because he was comfortable, right? But how many of you know that sometimes it's not that comfort's a bad thing, but if we stay too long in comfort, we'll be okay with contentment with where we're at, right? Whether it's in our relationship with our family. Maybe God is calling us to be an ambassador for our family, right? Maybe you're the one who notices everybody in your family gathering like, man, all these people are just, I, I can't, I have to take them in small doses. Do you have people in your family like that? Like you have to take them in small doses. You can't just hang around them all the time, right? Maybe God is calling you to be a light into their life so they're not like that all the time. You know what I'm saying? But sometimes we're so comfortable with, okay, maybe I'll just, I'll let them be them and I'm just going to stay over here right? Maybe we're so comfortable with just being that same person that shows up that we don't want to step out in faith, right? So sometimes comfort allows us to operate from a position of contentment, right? So when we enter a place of fear, we operate from a position of doubt. What happened with Elijah? Elijah fled Samaria. He left his servant Beersheba and he entered the wilderness alone. He went from being on top of this mountain and taking all of these people who worshiped a completely different entity from him and casting them out to being afraid of one woman who, who wanted to threaten his life. So he went from a position of power to a position of doubt because he entered a place of fear. Simba's, the place he entered was physical, right? He had all the comfort around him he wanted. Uh, Elijah, the place he entered was mental, right? He thought in his mind that he couldn't do this anymore, so he fled, right? Maybe if we, if we bring it to an example that we can relate to today, when we enter a place of jealousy, we operate from a position of insecurity, right? About 95% of us are probably on some form of social media. And most of the time when we see things on social media, we're going to see highlights from other people's lives. But we don't think that, you know? It's funny, like we individually post highlights of our lives. I don't think anyone just... just continuously, commonly post just all the negative stuff that's happening, right? You post all the good stuff, but for some reason, we don't think that other people also do that, right? We're like, man, they got it all together. I can't believe they just got that job. They got that promotion, man. Look at that car that they have, man. I can't believe that their family looks so stable. They do everything together, but you don't see that right before they took that group picture that they were just arguing about taking a group picture, right? And so <laughs> it's funny that the perspective that we have, sometimes it, it, it can change where we, where we uh, our position of, of power, right? So we enter a place of jealousy. We operate from a position of insecurity. So you ask, okay, well, you said, take your rightful place. What is my rightful place? You're talking about all these negative things. That's kind of confusing. Well, you can take a, a place, right? And if you take, if you enter some of these places, you'll operate not from a position of power, but all these negative things. But when we find out what our rightful place is in Christ, that's when we can operate with power and authority. So if we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 6, this will tell us where our place is in Christ. As we are followers of Christ, um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 6 says this, But God, rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? When we entered the place of Christ, or when we enter into a place where we're focused on things above, that's when we can operate from a position of authority. That's when we have power over the things that we think have power over us, right? And so we see, we see this all throughout Scripture of all these people who trust in the Lord, and then what happens whenever they don't trust in the Lord, right? So we have these parallel, these two characters, both who come from power, both who have authority, but both because tragedy struck, they left, right? So what does all this mean? Why does this matter? Why is this important to know my power and authority in Christ? Identifying your power and authority in Christ will start changing everything around you. I want to say it again. Identifying your power and authority in Christ will start changing everything around you, right? So we look at Simba. His guilt and comfort kept him in the oasis and ignoring the problem. Elijah, for him, he lost his focus on the one who gave him authority, so he fled in fear. So we see these, these two characters, they lost their power and authority because they turned into a different place. But how many of you know power and authority is not actually interchangeable? I think sometimes we use it that way, but if we really look at power and authority, there's actually, uh, there's actually a great difference. And, and here's something I found that, that uh, gives us some context I thought was such a great example. In a football game, the players tower over the referees. The players are bigger, they're stronger, they're more powerful than the older, smaller, and often out of shape referees. In a game, the players can use their power to knock you down, but the referee can use their authority to put you out of the game. The players can use their power to knock you down, but the referee can use their authority to put you out of the game. So why does this matter? First, it matters because we have to figure out what our source of power is. Jesus secured our power and authority, right? So we're going to get into an example of why our authority is greater than any other power that we could face. But when we recognize the source of our power and authority, we can daily walk in confidence just as Simba was when he was a kid, right? He knew that he was the son of a king. He knew that one day he was destined for greatness. With Elijah, he knew that he was going to do great things through the Lord, and he knew that because of that, he could step into a place that seemed like he shouldn't belong, that he shouldn't bring uh, the word with him, but he came into this place, and he acted on God's behalf because he had that power and authority over his life. He realized that his power and authority was not from him, but was from the one above. Jesus secured our power and authority. Also, we have authority to stand against the enemy, to stand against Satan, right? Until Jesus returns, Satan has dominion over this world, but the enemy has no authority or power over those aligned under the covering of the risen, exalted Christ. Now, I'm saying he doesn't have power over you, not any power that you give him, but he does have power to come against you, right? So, so if we're all followers of Christ, we know that the authority we have in our lives says what in the final chapter? that Satan loses, that the enemy is cast out into a pit, right? He does not have the last laugh. God does because he is sovereign. He is truth. He is love. And we're on his side. We're ambassadors of him. So we know that it's not Satan that has power, but it's us. But how many times that can we get into a place like this? Can we go to a conference and find ourselves knowing the truth that our power and authority comes from God? But the second we step out of this place, the second we hit Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock, something happens, and it's like we forget that truth immediately. I'm sure there's a lot of us in this building that have been there. I've been there. 
I've been in a place where something as small as a sore throat could literally hinder me and stress me out for what God has to do on Sunday morning, right? And so when we figure out that we have the power to fight against the enemy and everything else that we think has power over us, that's when we start to walk in confidence. That's when we start to change things around us, right? Simba, at the end of the movie, when he decides to come back after all of his, his hanging out with Timon and Pumbaa and finding out the truth of what happened with his father, he went back to Pride Rock. And he wanted to retake his claim as king. Scar had run it into the ground. Everything was dark and gloomy. There was no, um, there was no animals to, to feed the, the lions. They were in a famine at the moment. And, and Simba comes into this place. And it could have been a place of doom and, and a place of gloom for him as well. Like, man, how in the world am I going to fix this? But that's not what was on his mind. His, uh, what was on his mind was that he knew that he was the son of a king and he was going to come back and make this right. And so he came back and he had the power to overthrow Scar, but it wasn't the power that kept him in leadership afterwards. It wasn't the power that kept him on Pride Rock. It was the, it was the authority that he had, right? So we see Disney movies, they like to tie things up nice and pretty in a bow, right? So, you know, we see this awesome moment in the beginning, and then we see kind of a, a climax of tragedy happen, and he has to figure out his self and identity, and then he goes back and he wins, right? That's kind of like a Disney formula at this point. But our lives aren't in the span of an hour and a half, right? We, we, we don't live our lives in that way. And so what happens when we look at Elijah's life? He went into the wilderness, and then he went back and changed everything and lived for the Lord forever, the end. No. He was so fearful of what was going to happen. He was so consumed with what was happening in his own life to him and not what God was doing through him that God was like, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into this city, find this other guy, Elisha. He's going to replace you because if you don't have confidence in what I'm going to do through you, I don't need you. I don't need you to serve for me because I need someone who wants to, to operate from authority and power. So, what he did was he found somebody who was going to operate from authority and power. And what did he do? He ministered, he ministered from a point of authority. Elisha was able to go back and cast out all those prophets of Baal. He was able to, to turn all of those people because when, Eli, when Elijah had left, all those prophets he cast out, all of that worship was still happening. He didn't do anything but just take those people out that day. It was still rampant in Israel. But when Elisha came, he wiped it out, right? Because he wanted to be used. And so when we find our source of power in Jesus, when we find that we have power against the enemy, we find that we have the power and authority to minister to others. Through Christ, we can encourage our family and our friends and speak life into lost people, right? I think sometimes it's so easy, and I hope I'm not stepping on any toes, but I think sometimes it can be so easy for us to like play church, you know what I'm saying? But then not actually be the church sometimes. Because it's hard and it's awkward and it's fearful and it's weird sometimes to talk to a stranger who may not know God, right? But if the Lord, if the Holy Spirit's put on you, to, it's pressed on you to speak to this person and share the word, that's your duty as a follower of Christ to do that thing. It might be weird and it might be awkward, but, but in that moment when you start to speak the word over somebody, it will be worth every awkward moment, right? So, we find that our authority is in God. We know that our sources, our source of power is from Him. We know that, um, that we have power against the enemy and that we can minister into family and friends, right? We have that power. Okay, so I told you why about all these things, but how does that, how does that apply to me? Like, how am I going to leave from here and take all that stuff that you said about Simba and Elijah and tie it together, right? What happens now? How does an Old Testament prophet and a talking lion relate to me? So, 
I'm going to give you three last points uh, as I close. Here's the first one. Stop trying to live out the calling of others. Stop trying to live out the calling of others, right? If we don't know that we are uniquely made in the image of God, every single individual one of us, that we have a purpose, that we have power, and we have authority to influence the people in our own lives, if we don't focus on that and we try to be someone else, We'll never live the life that God has for us. And I think social media just makes it so easy for us to give in to jealousy because it's right there. Man, their ministry, man, they're, they're killing it. Oh my gosh, they just started a business and they're doing better than I did the first year I started a business. Like we can be so jealous and envious and compare ourselves when God made you to be you. God made you only to be you. If you try to be someone else, you'll be second best every time. You'll be second best to anyone else every time because God called you to be you. Stop trying to live out the calling of others. Take note of your accomplishments and failures. Take note of your accomplishment and failures. I think sometimes we, we can't, I think it's really good to take note of the things that we do that, we do that are right, things to be proud of that, 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 um, that encourage us. Like when we read back into a journal and see all the things God's done through this. I think that's great. But I think it's also great to write down our failures, things we haven't done right. How many of you, you've made a mistake and you're like, man, I'm never going to do that again. And then like you do it again. And then you make that mistake and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Okay, well, I'm going to do this different. You do nothing different and you do it again, right? It's like, it's, you put it into your mind that you're going to change, but it doesn't happen because there's so much happening in our lives. What you need to do is you need to take that thought. You need to write it down and learn from your mistakes. You don't need to just learn from your accomplishments. You need to learn from your failures, right? No one on earth knows you better than you know yourself. If you were to read something a year ago, I started journaling thanks to Pastor Anthony. He's, he's got me journaling and I, I really enjoy it because I can go back and see some of the dumb things I've done, right? I've seen some of the things that, that at the time when it was a devotion for that day, that meant more to me in that moment than it does now because I'm not dealing with that, uh, that issue anymore, right? I can learn from myself better than I can learn from anybody else. So it's good for you to take note of your accomplishments and your failures. And here's the last thing. You begin to discover who you are when you discover whose you are. You discover who you are when you start to learn whose you are. And I think that's so important because sometimes I think we get so crippled in fear as followers of Christ because we have identity crisis, right? We, we don't have a good hold on, on who we are as followers of Christ, as individuals that are supposed to lift up his name because we're so busy trying to be this person. We're so busy trying to be this person, right? God wants you to stay right in your lane because he knows exactly what you're best at doing, right? He knows exactly what you're best at doing. For example, I will pick on myself. I cannot be like uh, any previous youth pastors that I've seen who are able to discuss with their students about sports. I've never been a big sports person. I just haven't. I've always been into comics and nerdy things. And so when they talk about that stuff, I can't connect with them on that level. But I have people on my team who can connect with them on that level, right? Maybe I can connect with people who are musically inclined better than anyone else on my team, right? That's, that's my job. But I'll be honest, I used to have, when, when I was in high school and I was a youth leader, I used to have this idea. That I was like, man, I'm not manly enough because everybody talks about sports and I don't know what they're talking about. Like, I can't connect with them. Like, man, I'm just, I'm going to pretend, right? Well, that's dumb. Why do I need to pretend to be like anyone else when I can just be me? And I, 
think sometimes it's hard for us to admit that, right? We want to be so hard to be like someone else that we don't even know who we are. Well, you say, well, I don't know who I am. I, I, don't, I didn't find that I could play guitar. Or I didn't find that I'm good at this or that. Like, what am I supposed to do? Well, you could go back to the author and see what he says about you. We're all characters in the, in the story of what God's writing, what he continues to write. If you can't figure out who you are, why don't you go back to the one you belong to? I think so many times we try to find ourselves in, in, in people that we follow on social media and in, in things that we see on TV that we align ourselves with, whether it's politically or whether it's movies or whatever, entertainment. Like we try to align ourselves with something, right, in the world. But we don't want to try to find out what God says about us. And I think it's so crucial for us to do that because if we don't, what, what, what are we doing? What is church even about? Church services, spiritual books, and Bible studies are all important supplemental parts of your walk with God. But only when you align yourself and abide in the person, power, and presence of Jesus Christ can you confidently live out the life God has for you. A church is a body of Christ. A church includes worship. A church includes small groups and Bible studies and all these things. Those are super important. But if we're too busy doing church and not being the church, right? If we're too busy doing these things and not following the one, it's not a thing. Christianity is not a thing. It's a relationship with a person. And if we can't get that in our spirit, we're going to play church for the rest of our life. And I'm continually learning that as a follower of Christ. I have not figured that out. I don't stand up here to, to tell you that I, I, I learned, if anything, I was able to come up with these points because I learned from my own failures, right? I'm preaching to myself. I think sometimes we need to preach to ourselves and we need to start stop giving everyone else the, the mic when it comes to our identity. They don't have any word on our identity. Not our closest friend, not our parents, as much as we love our family, not anyone in our family, not friends. They don't have a say of who our identity is. He does. And so as we close, uh, as we close, I, I want to pray before we move into the into communion. I want to pray because I, I see that, that there is a huge identity crisis. And I think what's scary is it's, it's hard to see, right? It's hard to see because everybody puts on a mask. If I can just put on this mask and pretend like everything's okay, then, then I'll be all right. But just like Simba did, he had confidence in the beginning. Tragedy hit him and he came back because he knew whose he was. He knew he had power and authority. And this morning, I'm telling you, I'm speaking of your life, that you have the same power and authority in Jesus this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for this morning. Uh, we thank you, God, that we're able to find who we are and who you are, God, that we don't have to compare ourselves that, God. We don't have to take note of what other people are doing, God. We don't have to find, Lord, what it is that you want us to do through any other type of leadership book, through any type of small group, through any other person but you. And God, we just pray that in this moment, that Lord, that we can focus our attention on who you are in our lives, that God, that we can, we can take our rightful place, Lord, as sons and daughters of the risen King. God, we have authority. And even though we can look and be moved by the story of the Lion King and everything that happens in there and how it's all tightly knit, God, that's not our life, but that's okay. 
Because through every storm that you bring us through, you build us up more, Lord, as, as a follower, as a leader. So God, I just pray this morning that God, that, that Lord, that we're able to find our power, that we're able to find our authority in the risen King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and that we're able to find ourselves in who you are and who you call us to be all throughout Scripture, God. Let that be our guide, Lord, into who we are in you, God. We thank you for this place. We thank you for this moment, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you stand with us this morning? I think the big question comes, like, how do you receive that power and authority in your life? I had a friend a few years ago who was in D.C., and he said he was at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and, and there was a, a guy who was walking down the wrong steps. He was just kind of in a place he shouldn't be. And, and all of a sudden, there was, there was a soldier there, who was guarding that tourist spot and just raised his voice and said one word. Here was the one word he said. Stop! And when he said stop, this guy who was kind of going down the steps in the wrong direction just stopped. Now why did he do that? Because the soldier who spoke those words to him, he had some power. He was probably armed, which gave him a little power, right? But let's be honest, out of all of the duties that he could have had in the armed forces, guarding a tourist spot may have been a little lower on the list of, of power spots, right? So he had some power. But here's what he had. He had authority. His words had the full weight of the entire United States armed forces, even including the commander-in-chief himself, right? He spoke on behalf of everybody that was over him. And all he did was speak one word. And somebody listened to what he had to say. See, when you spend time in the presence of God, he gives you that power that you need in your life. I'm tired. Like, I don't even really want to stand here right now. In fact, I'm just going to sit right here, okay? Can I do that? I was just going to sit. But two weeks ago, before this journey in our family started, we had no idea what we were in for. No idea. For those of you who don't know, my wife had some headaches and some dizziness and she was being treated for a virus and all those things and nothing helped. We went to the emergency room two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Saturday was two weeks ago. And they did a scan of her head and they found um, a, a brain tumor. I still have a hard time saying those words. Like, my wife had a brain tumor. And it was on the mast of her cerebellum. It was on the back of her cerebellum, just kind of right there at the base of her brain. And, um, and so on Monday, tomorrow, two weeks right ago, um, my wife had brain surgery. And so they took out this tumor, and, and sure enough, it turned out to be cancerous. And um, it, my wife, if you know our story, in 2012 had a, a battle with breast cancer. And so um, it is a reoccurrence of that breast cancer, and, and they scanned everything. And so they also found a mass that's in her lung, and, and so she's going to be treated for that. Um, all of that happened in the past two weeks. It's crazy. That wasn't on our radar at all. But on Father's Day, just like two or three Sundays ago, I walked in here. You remember that? You were standing right there. 
and you were standing right here and Jeremy's standing over here and, and and the band was 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 preparing for service and I walked in and I stood right here because because you were singing gracefully broken and before service ever started I knelt down right there and I just began to weep in the presence of God there wasn't anything going on there wasn't anything on my radar there wasn't anything wrong in life everything's great what was happening God was preparing me for the fight he was preparing my spirit and he was preparing my mind and he was preparing my body and I believe in that moment he was assuring me of power in my life and the authority that he had given me to speak to any mountain in my life and it could be cast into the sea that power and authority comes from his presence you gotta get in his presence y'all you cannot expect to go up against the mountains of your life and fight those battles on your own. He said he's fighting those battles for you. If you just be still, he'll fight the battles for you. But how do you know you got power and authority if you're not spending time in his presence? So you need to get on your face. Because I'm not the only one with a battle right now. I'm not the only one in a fight. Some of you are in the fight of your life right now. And you have that same power and authority in your life to speak to your mountain and it be cast into the sea. I heard Pastor Mike McDermott a couple of years ago preach this message about the prayers that Jesus prayed. And Jesus prayed for a lot. I mean, even when he gives us his example to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, will be done on earth as in heaven. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses. Forgive us of those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Like, there's a lot of things that Jesus prays throughout his word. But he never prayed for healing. When people came to Jesus, he never begged God to heal them. He spoke to the sickness, and the sickness left their body because he had power and authority over every sickness that was in their body. Isaiah 53 and 5 says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. My favorite translation of that scripture says, His wounds made you well. You have power and authority. Speak to the mountain in your life. And let it be cast into the sea. Lord, I pray right now. Lord, that this power and authority that Pastor Jonathan has spoken so emphatically about today. May we recognize we have that power and authority in our lives as sons and daughters of the King. And so Lord, no matter what mountain we face today, and we all got our stuff. Lord, we all got our stuff. Lord, I pray in this moment we would speak to the sickness 
and recognize the power and authority that we have in our lives. Lord, that we would recognize the power and authority that you've given us over every mountain that we face in our life. And Lord, as we speak in that power and authority today, in the mighty name of Jesus, may it be cast into the sea. And may we recognize that that power and authority only comes because you, Lord Jesus, paid the ultimate price with your life on a cross. You died in our place. You took the punishment that was ours and you took it upon yourself. And as a result of that, by your stripes, Lord, we are made well. Lord, we receive salvation and we receive hope and we receive joy and, and we receive freedom. God, we receive so much in our life because you took our place. And this morning as we receive communion together, Lord, may we remember the sacrifice that you made for us. God, may we remember that it's your body that's broken for us. May we remember that it's your blood that was shed for us. And as we receive these elements today, may we do so in remembrance of you. God, may we do so in a spirit of worship and may we feel you just equipping us for our battle. Will you just help us to see that you are empowering us um, to stand firm in the middle of whatever circumstance we find ourselves in today. And Lord, maybe there's some people like I was a few weeks ago. They don't really see the storm right now. But God, let them feel you prepare them for what may be ahead. Lord, you said that we could be of good cheer that you have overcome the world. And this morning as we receive Holy Communion, we thank you for it. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room that hasn't made a decision to follow you, I pray that right where they are in the privacy of their devotion, that they would just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from unrighteousness. Cleanse me, oh Jesus. Lord, I'm a sinner and I need your grace. So I ask you to wash me, cleanse me, set me free. And give me strength to live my life in obedience to you as a lifelong follower of you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we receive communion today, if you can kind of see there's an imaginary line here. An usher will come to each row. A hospitality team member will come to each row. And they'll release your row from the back to the front. And you can come down and receive communion here. You'll hear them say, the body of Christ, the blood of Jesus. You can receive the elements there. And then if you're physically able, you'll go up the steps and uh, back to your seat. Kind of in a circular formation, you'll do the same here. If physically, if that's tough for you, just go back to your seat. It's fine.